Today, I, I have with me my sister, Melissa, and she looks totally badass in that hat. I just <laughs> want to say, you look so cool and hip right now compared to how I typically look. I look like a pseudo-professional uh, who doesn't really know what he's doing. <laughs> so, wow, thank you. This is yeah. my uh, beanie hat circa, you know, 2011 look that I'm going for right now. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, before we start, I just want to um, explain why I have you on here. Um, I I want to send a signal at the beginning of the year about the direction I plan to have this podcast go. And what I want to do is I want to take all of the conversations I'm having in my own life and kind of make them part of the podcast, kind of continue them through the podcast. And the reason is because I think they're super useful. Um, earlier today, I had on one of my mentors from Sarah Lawrence College, uh, David Hollander. He just came out with a new book, uh, which was kind of our ingress into the podcast, but really it was the whole hour and a half we were talking, it was like I was back at the school. And we were again talking about writing and the craft of writing and sort of the art life. And I think there's a lot that we talk about, obviously, that... Um, plays into another aspect of the art life. And that's, of course, family dynamics. <laughs> uh, <laughs> growing up hard with hard people. But also there's an, a, a component that at some point I'm going to want to get to as it concerns education. And you're an educator. Um, you're well aware of my history with education. Uh, and so there, there's lots of stuff we can talk about that I think will be useful because... One of the things that I've been bringing up in a lot of my film work and in a graphic novel that I'm working on, and I also brought it up with the Hollander uh, episode, which is actually it's actually going to air after yours. Um, I'm staggering them in a certain order. Um, as I talk about Thanksgiving, and I talk about how hard Thanksgiving is for artists, uh, because every Thanksgiving I've ever gone to, there's always somebody who asks about income, how you're making your money, and how, how's business going? And I never want to talk about that because business has almost always supported my passion in the arts. And of course, getting people to want to talk about passion is, is a lot different and a lot less relatable. And, I, and, I'm, I, and my thought is, well, if other artists are dealing with that, then certainly we can have a conversation kind of about not about that, but like rooted in that sort of really annoying aspect of life. <laughs> and so, so far, I haven't had a lot of conversations with people as it concerns my personal life. They do know so far that um, my mother's batshit crazy. They know that I have one family member I'm still in communication with. And of course, that's you. Yes. Um, and I thought, well, wouldn't it make sense to bring you on? So we, we can unpack as much of it as you want, as little of it as you want, because uh, it's your life too. Um, we, we I'm an open book and I'm trying to... Huh? We, we can unpack as much dysfunction as you would like to share with the world. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, because I'm, I'm trying to keep an open book about this. I want uh, people to know that... Uh, you know, as, as fucked up as things are, you're probably not alone. I think most people who gravitate towards the arts probably have some baggage. I would agree with that. And I think that 
even you and I spent some time in our lives thinking we were alone in this dysfunctional family until we discovered that each of us had this dysfunctional experience and share those same thoughts. So sharing is good. Yeah, you know what I uh, I brought up with the Hollander one. This I, I literally taped it two hours ago, so it's still fresh. Is um, he was asking about mom, and uh, I was just telling her how she used to religion hop. I don't know if she still is, and it was a different Christian sex, and it got more conservative with each one. And by the time I was twenty one, I was checked out of it, and kind of reading about the scientific method <laughs> and, and astronomy and and really just kind of becoming also more interested in politics. Like after 9-11, I was like, I, w- I was hearing all of this God will save us stuff. And I'm just like, well, why does, what does that even mean? We have the science, we have the technology, and we have the will if we want it to solve almost all of our problems on planet Earth. So what are we waiting for? And so that, that, that was sort of the last conversation on this podcast that I had about family and mother. And <laughs> uh, Yes, the religious aspect of childhood. You know, I think that a lot of people who are listening can just relate to that aspect. When you grow up in a really religious household, how that affects you as an adult. There's a lot of guilt that comes with it, even if you're, or especially if you're not religious anymore, right? Yeah. And we had, we were like in a religious like turntable, like she would just spin the turntable and when it stopped, that's the new religion we were. And we had to go (laughs) along with it or not. And I'm pretty sure the last time you had a Christmas tree was when she was Jehovah Witness. It was like her Jehovah Witness years. And she got rid of all the Christmas decorations and you and I went out and we cut down a tree and put it up no matter what. And so... Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And I think for the YouTube version of this, I'll probably put a picture up of that as I think I have a picture of that if I can find it. Um, I definitely have one. I can send it to you. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I uh, yeah, I think that is the last time I had a Christmas tree um, because being in New York, it's not the most uh, important thing. <laughs> but, You're not um, going out with your with your axe and chopping down a tree. Um, well, here it would be a federal offense. Uh, it would be a felony for sure. Uh, <laughs> it it might have been a felony when we did it, but it was the island in Maine, so who cares? There's no uh, laws. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I hope it was because the statute of limitations are up on that. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> yeah. But, I, yeah, we had the – for everybody listening, so our mother declared Christmas was no longer part of the family. Which, by the way, it didn't hold because I went back after I moved to New York that, and she had them. Uh, it was just this temporary It event. was her Jehovah Witness stage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we put the tree up outside by the, by the walkway that goes to the front door. And we tied it to another tree. Yes, because so. I came home and there were still two little boys in that house. And it upset me that she was taken Christmas away from... Okay, you're looking at me because you weren't little, little, but you and our littlest brother were little. And I just totally mama bared that situation and was appalled that this mother figure was taking away this tradition of your childhood. It blew my mind that that was okay with her. Yeah, and um, 
So then Grammy and I worked on creating a Christmas for you guys. Yeah, I think that was the beginning of sort of my adulthood. Yeah. For real. Uh, mentally, anyway. And um, so that was also the era I think I was shifting into video. I think I, I did my video class the following year, if if I'm, if my memory serves. And that's when I started making films. So with great pain comes great art. I was going to just say with dysfunction comes art. <laughs> yes, I think that's very or true. Or in my case, with dysfunction came a great motherhood because I am a great mom because I did everything opposite of what we experienced. Yeah, so let's talk about that. I, I think that's fascinating, and I didn't put it in your intro, but we could put sister, teacher, better mother than <laughs> I had. And <laughs> I, I, what what did you do different, and, and how did you measure it against what you experienced before? Um, you know, I think that we went there was a we had a childhood in which she was either really happy. And, or she was really upset and yelling at us a lot. And I didn't want to be that for my children. I wanted to be this emotional kind of foundational rock for them. And so making sure that I'm taking care of my mental health, my stress levels, you know, myself so that I can be that for them. Um, and also things like forming traditions for them so that every Christmas they know mom makes homemade cinnamon rolls and the trees up we decorate it as a family and all the same decorations that they love are up still. And um, I can't think discipline, you know, talking to them, talking them through issues, helping them with conflict resolution, not choosing yelling as a form of discipline or sending them to their room because I just can't handle my emotions and their emotions, making sure they know I love them, hugging them. We didn't have a lot of touch in our family. And I think that's something you and I still struggle with when we say goodbye at brunch and I'm always like, give me a hug. And you get this like, okay, look on your face. That comes from our childhood. We were not yeah. hugged and touched a lot. And that's something that I even have to deal with in other relationships. Now I'm this super touchy friend and my friends know that. And they're just like, Melissa needs all the love. Um, yeah, I find that I'm, I, I vaguely remember only really being hugged to annoy me <laughs> and in an annoying way. And, and I don't know. Yeah, I still to this day, like um, Jan's family will know not to go in for one. Um, sometimes, I mean, pre-coronavirus, sometimes there aren't, but, which, but like, yeah, it's, it's something I, I have yet to adjust to. <laughs> Yeah, and that takes, I think it takes adjustment and it takes time to kind of accept that personal touch or that person in your space because a lot of the time when they were getting in your space, it was not because they were happy or proud. It was because they were upset with you and they were coming at you. Yeah. Um, even things as far as food, a lot of my personal food issues stem from childhood. My children don't have to eat anything they don't like. They don't have to clean their plate. I will make them what they want without putting stress on myself. And you've witnessed that. And I think you were shocked by it when I created, you know, plates of three different kinds of salads and you yeah. were just, oh, one, they're going to eat that. And two, you made that for him, but he doesn't want that. 
okay. It's like, yep. Yeah. And also, I, you know, I really love this idea of not forcing children to clean their plates. I think that created a lot of bad eating habits. Oh, uh, my nutritionist was talking about when you're done, you're done. Check out, throw the rest away. And I'm like, and I've been trying to do that, actually. Yeah, it's true. I mean, we learn to not trust our bodies when we get in these disordered eating pattern, patterns, which we saw not just in her practice, but from our mother as well, because she had her own issues with food and body image. Yeah. Um, what a great I, topic. <laughs> I know. This is why we're doing this. Um, recently, I don't remember if we're... I'd had this conversation if it was on Facebook or if it was in an earlier episode, but at one point I had engaged in a conversation about the difference between telling a kid that it's okay to be angry versus telling a kid it's not okay to be angry. And I don't ever remember being told that it's okay to be angry. It's just a matter of what you do with your anger. I really think that whether or not it was anger, our emotions had no valid space in our home at all. There was no holding space for how we were feeling. Everything was centered around them. And I do encourage both my children and my students, like it's okay to feel angry or upset or sad. It's what you do with that anger that that matters. And so are you angry at me and you're yelling at me because I don't like that, but are you angry at me and you're telling me or even walking away? Like walking away is a valid, good response. You want to go sit in your room for a while? I feel that. Come talk to me when you're ready. Yeah. Um, you know what I was thinking about prior to like right after I invited you onto this thing, wondering if you were going to come on or not. Um, I, I got to thinking about this moment when you were visiting the island that we grew up on. Um, we grew up on a desolate rock in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and um, you, you were going to school at this point in Connecticut at Westover. And you'd come back for a brief visit during the holidays. And you had figured out that I wanted to get off the island. And I remember you, you, we were walking near the new hill okay. when I told you, like, I'd like to leave, maybe go to school, go study film. And you were like the first person on that island I told that to. And you were the first person to actually, that I told that all to, to respond positively. I think prior to that, I had told some people at the high school who were just indifferent. And I remember really like you being excited by that idea by the idea of me just wanting to get the hell off that island? Um, because I think I had been off that island. You know, I did go to boarding school in Connecticut for my last two years of high school and gotten away from our family dynamics, something which I felt guilt about later and got a lot of therapy about leaving my two brothers still in that family dynamic. But coming back and hearing that I think you had dreams that you wanted to follow and things that you were really good at and wanted to pursue. Of course, I was supporting that. Maybe I was even more supportive because I had been away and I saw what it did for me as a person and how I grew individually. 
away from the clenches of of our family. I mean, I went from this ultra religious household to this boarding school where I could start to explore who I was and my life philosophies, which I still carry to this day. And that was a game changer. That was a game changer for me. And I'm happy to hear that was a game changer for you if I could come back and tell you, yes, go do that or be that positive support. I don't yeah. remember that, but I'm glad. Yeah, that's a bit that was to me like a big moment. And I, I think that's interesting that um, I didn't expect you to remember it, to be honest. Um, but I have a bad memory. Just so you know. It's okay. I don't have a good memory either. I, I, I like remember things as the start of chapters, but I don't remember the details of those chapters. Is it like I can remember the first line of a chapter of a book I read, but that's about it. Yeah, and so I this to me was like the first line. I always tell my therapist that, you know, my brother, Eric, remembers moments of our childhood, but I walked away with the feelings from our childhood. You know, I remembered feeling hungry or angry or upset. And then he'll come back and say, well, this happened and this happened. And I'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, re I remember the hunger as well. And I remember um, at one point when we were living at that dumpy trailer on the church road. <laughs> uh, man, what a shithole. Yeah. Uh, you had attempted to make pasta before the par parents got home and overboiled the pasta. I don't know if you remember this, but... Sh she flipped the lid because you know it was like what a 39 cent box of pasta store brand pasta but she that to her was a, such a huge waste of money because what what you put in like what one cup two cups worth from the box overboiled that couldn't and it wasn't eat i mean i guess it was edible i eat boil pasta all the time but i just remember her flipping a lid about it and 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 wondering even then what was the big deal? I th you know, I think that one, she needs therapy. And two, she needs to unpack a lot of her own childhood stuff. You know, there was poverty in her childhood and she did have a lot of control issues when it came to food. And I'm not giving excuses to this situation. Yeah. Um, but as a result now, my children come upstairs to the kitchen and want something to eat every single time I will say yes. It doesn't matter if they're eating if they've just eaten all the groceries i just bought and now i have to go back out and buy them again if they're hungry they'll eat and you got you were a teenager or almost and you guys were hungry i was when 12. I, I was either 11 or 12. yeah and uh, growing boys get hungry and you'll eat boiled pasta or over boiled pasta if you're hungry i would have drenched that in mayo uh in, not mayo, in well maybe mayo but in mustard and and eating that because I loved at the time I loved pasta and mustard yes definitely a lot of food issues in our childhood there was a time where she cut out sodium yeah I think that did a number um, yep. and then you couldn't drink at the table yep. for a long time which yep. also now I have to have water because I have swallowing issues and I wonder if that plays into it there's a lot of questions that about all those sudden dietary shifts based on just general shit she heard <laughs> Oh, or red. Sure. None of it was rooted in any sort of science or research. It was, and it was the '80s, which, if you look, think back to like the fitness fads and the crazes and yeah. all the diets. I mean, she jumped on every one of those bandwagons and brought us with her. And I mean, until a year ago, I was a disordered eater for 40 years because of all that. 
now. Yeah, and I, I'm clawing my way out of that now. So it's crazy. Yeah, we bought a food scale, which was a huge, huge deal. That was a, a turning point. I have yet to really master the art of weighing portions, but we're getting there. Um, so let's can we talk a little bit about um, education because I remember at one point I don't I don't know if this how far you want to go into your own experiences because of um, employment factors, but I remember at one point you were working at a place where some of the teachers passed some some judgment on a student because and and it was along the lines of oh he did this in class he's doomed for prison and what grade level do you teach okay. uh i okay i know exactly what you're talking hold on i have to laugh <laughs> i know exactly what you're talking about and i'll tell you the exact quote it was i don't mind sharing it um so i teach pre-k and i've been <laughs> A pre-K teacher for 20 years. So it's early childhood education. I'm not K-8, so if you're looking for insights into that, I may not be the best person. So I've been in a public school setting for three years. So I do have some public school experience. Um, the quote was that a teacher was having a hard time with a student who was misbehaving. And the quote that the other person told her was that he was on the path, on the path towards a lifetime of hardship and eventually jail. And I was so astounded by that comment that I still sometimes say it in my head to remind myself not to label children. I don't believe in labels and it's been a long time since I have. Um, I don't believe in labeling children unless the label is going to help them get the services that they need in the classroom. But in my classroom, a child does not need a label for me to make accommodations or them to learn. And I work with a lot of teachers now who believe that same thing. Um, I, I don't believe in labels at all in general. Um, so, yeah, I do remember that comment. <laughs> yeah, I saw something similar to that too. Um, I don't recently. I don't remember where it was. Uh, I, I tend to watch a lot of YouTube and read a lot of comments uh, on New York Times articles. So it could be one of those two. But um, that sentiment is alive and well somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I want, I also once read a quote that somebody said it in a training and then when somebody says something that they truly believe in, it sounds like they sound like they've researched it. I always go research it to see if it's really true. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something like the literacy rates in this one Texas county were so low, they were using it to predict how many prison cells they would need in the next 20 years. And I said, that cannot be true. And so before she said it at the next training, I researched it and it wasn't true. Where yeah. did that data come from? I don't know, but when I researched it- it's Or the non-data. It was like, um, here's a myth or something that's been shared. Here's why it's not true. And I took it right to her and said, you really need to stop saying this in your training. Oh, I'd love to get your opinion on, um, I want to get your opinion on a lot of things like the you know the cookie cutter education that that concept or uh, standardized testing in New York City we have you know how how Southern Maine has a, a vocational school they send high school students if they want to 
specialize in something. Here in New York, we have specialty high schools, but you have to take a standardized test to get just to get into them, which means if I wanted to get into one of the arts ones, I wouldn't have gotten in. Uh, what are your, do you have thoughts on this, on, on testing? And Do I have thoughts on testing? Sure. I don't think testing works for every child. I think that the children who would probably benefit from those, those programs are falling through the cracks. And, you know, if you had to test to get into the vocational school that you went to here, that essentially put you on the path you're on, would you have succeeded in that test? Because you were not a great test taker as a child, would they have made accommodations for you to test in a different way or to demonstrate your knowledge? I think there are some schools that are moving towards measuring standards in a different way. You know, are they meeting the standard? Are they exceeding it? Um, how can how can they demonstrate that they've met this standard? They could do it through a test. They can do it through a project or a video or, you know, a myriad of options. That's one reason we moved to the school district where we are um, because of their approach with that. I have two very eclectic, uh, forward thinking out of the box children who really needed to be supported in that way. And so I looked for the school district that did that. I think that there is change out there. You just have to get more people out there spreading the word for it. In our school, we do standardized testing yeah yeah i I, uh i don't really know how to have the education conversation yet but i do know that there needs to be a shift and i also think there needs to be a shift in and how much teachers are paid because i've been looking at some of the numbers on that shit yeah it's it's abysmal um i forgot what i was gonna say that's okay about money yeah that's a hard conversation, uh, at which I'm not. I'm not very good at that conversation, but I want to be. I think it's important because um, I think te- teachers, educators, and artists are kind of in the same in the same wheelhouse that way. Uh, though I think that that you guys should be probably paid the most of all the public service workers I mean, out there. I think it's. Because people justify it by saying, you know, well, anyone could do that job, right? And only take so much training, but you're welcome to come into my pandemic pre-K classroom with my, you know, (laughs) 10 four-year-olds and tell me you can do the job I've done of keeping them safe and healthy for four months. Because if you follow a four-year-old, just one around for 15 minutes do you know how many things they touch without even thinking about it (laughs) and i have to clean every single thing and tell them to go wash their hands that's all i do all day long my hands are like raw and red but my goal was to keep them there for as long as possible yeah and keep at this point keep them alive uh same thing with you guys like with artists well i can't paint yeah i might move some paint around on an easel but I can't paint. I would just paint a bunch of colorful dots, but I think everyone has their wheelhouse and they should be paid appropriately for it. Well, you know, in in the New York City gallery scene, you could paint a couple of shitty dots and probably make millions, so Oh, okay. So I'm <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah. I'm gonna open a gallery with my little beanie hat I'm wearing today and I'm gonna come. I like it. Yeah. Um there's a good story that you told me that I'd like you to retell on here if you're okay with it. Sure. Um, it's about how 
Ben was able to just leave class and go right. Do you remember that? Vaguely. I really, really dug that. <laughs> so uh, my son, Ben, who is now 14, almost, um, he is a writer. And he is an emotional, angry little man who has had all the love and support. So it's nothing from childhood. <laughs> um, but he is, if you imagine, like, the great American writer and the, the kind of, um, you know, they're angry, recluse, drunk who sits in his apartment all day churning out these amazing things that everyone just wants a piece of. That is my Ben without the drunk part yet. And he's a writer and we moved to this school district because we wanted him to be better supported in his social emotional growth and his academic growth. And his teachers discovered he was a writer and would allow him during during his classes, if he had an idea that he really needed to go write down and write about, he could leave the classroom and go to a specific place outside in the hallway to write because they just saw how good he was at it. Yeah, I remember him sending me one of his stories and I I, I noticed and, and loved the fact that he was coining new words and I could read these new words that didn't previously exist and know exactly what he meant. Yeah, he's, I mean one of the best writer, youth writers I've seen in my education career, for sure. I love reading his stuff. I get it all uh, printed and bound at Staples so that I have copies of it forever. He gives it as gifts. He sends it to you. Um, he values your opinions the most because you're in New York and you're a writer and a filmmaker. And um, it means it has more weight to it when you write back your comments and anything that you say about it. So Yeah, I don't know if I had told you this. I, I got that story when I was in my MFA writing program and I actually showed it to one of my professors there and they were impressed by it as well. So I hope he keeps pursuing it. Yeah, I think he will. I mean, he has been saying he wants to be a writer since he was four years old and I've just supported that as much as I could, whether it was buying another notebook, right? Even though it's, it's the other one's not full, every notebook has its idea in it that he needs to build on. So he's got 12 million notebooks on his bed, sleeps on books. He's he's up all night. He comes out of his bedroom and his hair is all tousled because he's been pulling at it and he's got to get another snack because he just had an idea in the middle of the night. He's got to get up and write about it. Okay. When, when he was a new baby and you were living on the island still, I visited and I remember you telling me that one of the rules you have when you're out and about with them is if they want a book, you get them a book. I do. Like you don't buy them everything else, but you'll always buy them a book if they want one. I will always buy them a book. I still, I don't know if I would say it's a rule. It's now a habit. Even now if we're out and about and Madison or Ben say, hey, can I get this? I'm like, yep, okay. <laughs> of course you can. Because it's a book. And there's some of the most well-read children I know. Yeah, I uh, I love that, and I think that's a, a fantastic rule. I wish my cats could read so I could have that rule with them as well. Um, I mean, you can buy them books if you want. That's true. Uh, <laughs> you um, want to talk about how much I love Harry Styles? Yeah, okay. So ever since you brought that up, <laughs> I've been looking into it. You know he got mugged? I didn't know that. 
Yeah, he was on Howard Stern, and he was talking about how these these boys mugged him at knife point. Oh, so I started watching. You hear that? Yes. That's New York City, right behind that wall. Wow, amazing. I started watching the Howard Stern interview and it annoyed me that he kept interrupting Harry. Now, Harry talks very slowly because that's life and he just takes his time and does life that way. And Howard kept interrupting him and I just got annoyed, so I stopped watching it. Um, How, Howard is I, is sometimes on his game and sometimes he's not. Yeah, yeah. it just depends on the day. Uh, yeah, I... Um, that's about as much as I looked into him after you brought him up. <laughs> well, that's because I was in my car that day when you called. And so, you know, unbeknownst to you, I actually think you're really cool. You know, you live in New York and you're an <laughs> artist and you have a bunch of cats. And I was in my car secretly rocking out to One Direction when my really cool brother's name comes up on my caller ID. <laughs> And it was, I felt honestly like you knew I was listening to something really uncool and that you had to call. Well, I have, I have a news flash for you, Melissa, I'm trying to find my phone, but I realize I don't have music in my phone. I have One Direction tracks in my collection. Yeah, that was a surprise when you told me, because obviously when you called, I also wasn't shy and I was like, I'm listening to One Direction. <laughs> So I'm very influenced by what I see in media and uh, and what I see in general, what I hear in, like, I heard this ad on YouTube and I'm like, oh, what song is that? And so I, I looked up this song by the Chainsmokers and downloaded it. And honestly, like, if it's, if there's a carpool karaoke episode, yes. I'll probably buy all the songs they sing because yeah. I'm just like interested in... I'm interested in pop culture. I have a fascination with it. I want to know why it works. I mean, it makes sense to have a fascination with it because it does work. I yeah. mean, something gets out there in the world and everyone's into it. Yeah, uh, they've but, hacked uh, the, the, the brain. They've figured out our programming and they managed to hack a bunch of brains. And it's kind of how I look at it. I want to know how they did it. I brought up our dance video yes. on an earlier podcast. You told me that. And uh, we're, I admit, we were talking about how people don't understand that movies are fake. Right. And uh, I brought up the incident uh, with Chi-Chi. With the dog. Yeah. With the dog on the leash, because there was a leash law on the island. And then yeah. the video, we let the dog go. I, know, I never followed that law when we had the dogs. Nobody right, followed ever. the law. Yeah. But... <laughs> Yes, people can get really wrapped up in kind of media influence, even something as simple as thinking everything that happens in a movie is true. Yeah. Or a person who plays a character is that character. Hey, can I ask you a question about your... Um, do you, I, we don't have to talk about it if you don't want to. Uh, I'm interested in... You say that a lot. Yeah, I know. Makes me nervous. I, have to, I feel like I have to remind you Okay. that the guest controls these. You're throwing out a bunch of Christmas decorations. Yes, I did. What? What's up? Yeah, what's up with that? You know, my therapist, and I am an advocate for therapy, so if you're out there wondering if you should do it, yes, you should. Yeah, Jan um, thinks I should do it, like on a whole bunch of fronts. I am an advocate for therapy 
when you don't need therapy even. I mean, just getting your head in the right space to handle life, especially right now with COVID and everything, um, is not a bad thing. And my therapist also happens to be like a master at meditation. So I've also been practicing meditation. Uh, but yes, so I put a lot of emotional connection into objects and a lot of my Christmas decorations was from my marriage, which is no longer existing because I'm now divorced. And she said that, you know, when I was taking out my Christmas decorations and I was feeling sad about a life that no longer exists, she said it was okay to really look at those and get rid of the things I didn't love that was from that time. You know, if I have something that I love or I want to save for the boys, yeah, I definitely kept that. But most of it went to Goodwill because it was from a life I'm no longer living. I'm a completely different person than I was two years ago when we divorced because yeah. of therapy and life journeys. Changes. Like changes. Yeah. And I went out with my children and we picked out new decorations, decorations that I love because I'm an adult now and I got a whole bunch of pillows and yeah. Yeah, so that's... um. That's what inspired me to send you the gift that Jan revealed to you. Um, my downstairs neighbor, Kurt, started an Etsy business over the course of the pandemic. He typically works in theater, creating like wigs and costumes and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, I haven't interviewed him yet. I'm hoping to. But um, he basically, uh, he's now making decorations and he, he makes these beautiful wreaths. And so you're getting uh, a wreath. No, thank you very much. And what's his Etsy shop name? I feel you need to give him a plug. Uh, I'll put a link in the description. I have to look it up. I don't <laughs> think it, I think that there's an issue with the server. So I think I had to order it through a text message to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I recently got something off Etsy. It, it's They're called Inkling Tattoos. And they're <laughs> not permanent, obviously, tattoos. But I've always wanted a bird tattoo. So I ordered a couple of them. <laughs> I don't like huh. pain, so I don't think I'll get a tattoo. But yeah, like they don't age well. I just wanted to try it out, see if I like it. Yeah, I ordered um, a knitted hat from Etsy once. Ooh. Yeah. I ordered my uh, the sign that hangs on my teacher door. Well, when I ordered it, I ordered Mrs. Brown, and then a month later, I got divorced, so that I had to <laughs> order it again. <laughs> that sucks. Brown. Dude, yes, <laughs> it really did. <laughs> like it came in and I was like, awesome. And then a month later, I was like, aw. <laughs> do, 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 do. Uh. <laughs> what else is dysfunctional from our childhood? You know what I don't miss? I don't miss a bagel lake or at least the route that baby lived on. Yes, so that road is right around the corner from where I live now. Really? Um, but yes, when we used to have to do that drive, and it was all hilly and up and down, and Oof. I would always get car sick. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I get car sick too. It's so weird. Yes, I did as well, and now one of my children's does, so I always have Dramamine on hand for him. What, um... So what are you what are you doing now? Do you do you not go to the island anymore at all? 
Well, because of COVID, I do not because I want to keep my best friends safe. Um, my bestest friends live on the island. Right. And if I could, I would go visit them and hug them and love on them and let them love on me. But right now I'm not going to the island because I'm just staying in my own little bubble. My goal was to stay in my classroom for as long as possible. And that means giving up a lot of things. I only go to school and I only go home. And um, I'm sure that most of my students are not at that level of commitment. But I think that I feel better knowing that I am at that level of commitment, keeping them in school. Um, I do not. Are you asking if I go out and visit our parents? Because I don't. No, I don't. I don't expect you to. Uh, neither of us do. Um, my audience knows that. You know that they know that I haven't spoken to mom in a few years, at least cordially. And uh, <laughs> yes. And do they know that you reached out to dad and he rebuffed you? They don't know that this. They're finding out right now. So uh, yeah, yeah, I reached out to dad. I wanted to keep a relationship with him, and he rebuffed me. So, yeah. is, is the, you know, it is, um, I've got a skin, I've got the thick skin for it now. So it, it all goes into the writing. It goes into the poetry. It goes into the work. That's it's where the energy has goes. It fueled your career. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. And on this end, it has fueled positive parenting. For you my ripped children. up a card. You ripped up a card. That's right. I remember you telling me you ripped up a birthday card. Um, <laughs> I think that's hysterical. Okay, listen. Because it said, it was like, okay, only you can understand this because you know her tone. It was, Melissa, I love you so much. <laughs> I'm, no, you know what? You don't. You don't love me so much. Maybe you love me in your warped sense of what you think love is. Go get therapy. Come talk to me when you're done. I love my children so much. And you know what? If you loved Eric so much, you would have encouraged his father to go have lunch with him that day instead of being proud that he said no. Who does that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. She responded, I'm proud, like three weeks later or something, I'm proud that he said no because it means he loves me more than you. What? <laughs> Fucking That's bullshit. It is. And you know that, so sit on that like just know that it is bullshit yeah i had a question about covid up there sure. so i recently interviewed uh this guy from maine public radio erwin uh, gratz i don't know if you're yes. familiar with his work yes i was excited when you told me that um is so when and when people are like commuting on the ferry are they all wearing masks i don't know I know Madison. Um, so my oldest son goes out and works Madison. with his other grandfather to um, on the island all summer, and he wore masks. And I believe it was required to enter the building to go buy tickets for the ferry, and I assume also required on the boats. Oh, cool. yeah. I'm trying to get a picture of things because uh, I'm not in contact with a lot of people anymore. But um, yeah. Yeah, so people on this podcast might remember me mentioning Madison because I talked about how at one Christmas I sent him a legal-sized sample of uranium ore. Yes. <laughs> we were talking about gifting. Yeah, it still sits in his closet. <laughs> so, you know, he actually got a call from this grandfather. It was my, it's my ex-husband's stepdad. 
So we still have a really good relationship. And um, he last year, he sent him a gift that was a jar. And he put a note in the jar. And then on the jar, he wrote Schrodinger's cat. You know, Schrodinger's cat, you you know, he's in the mm -hmm. box. And until you open the box, you never know whether or not the cat is alive or dead. He watches a lot of Big Bang Theory. And it took a year for this grandparent to realize there was a note inside the jar. And he opened it the other day and it said the cat is dead. You shouldn't have looked. <laughs> I want to I wanna steal that and send that to random people. But in yep. the form of a card. I think that's going to be my next year's uh, Christmas yeah. card. That is that's fantastic. Yeah. So then we got a phone call from that set of grandparents. They were like, what? We waited a year? Now the cat's dead. Have you ever have you ever read into some of the um, quantum uh, quantum mechanic theories that that pertains to? So um, that goes into sort of uh, there's this thing called the double slit experiment where um, it, it's been tried thousands of times and thousands of times it just it works and nobody can explain why it, it's they'll send these I, I don't know if they're molecules or if they're protons like I don't know the difference between all the elements but they'll send them through these two slits right and they'll monitor how these molecules affect the wall over time so if they're not observing which slit each one goes through on the wall, a pattern will emerge uh, that indicates um, a wave function. So it's like pushing water through two slits where it just goes, it ripples. And then if they put a device there to monitor which slit it's going through, it'll only go through one. So the behavior of the element changes based on whether or not it's being observed. It's crazy and it's it's creepy. <laughs> Much like humans. Yeah, and uh, so that so there's this theory where like the universe only exists because there's always somebody there to view it, and if there was nobody there to view it, it wouldn't exist. Hmm. That's basically what that goes into. I have to look into that. You know, I only, I you know, I'm a history English person. And I've only had to learn to speak science and math because my children are science yeah. kids, or at least the oldest one is. So. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't have all of the the language down yet, but I, I find it super fascinating. I too was largely just a, a history person, at least with the Revolutionary War era. Um, that was as about all, as all good New Englanders are. Yeah, I think it, it really is a New England thing. Um, I can't tell you anything about how Texas became a state, though. <laughs> no, I don't know how Texas became a state, though we have a brother who lives there. Uh, I haven't met him. You, you're the one that found him. I did find him when, right when I was like 22-ish, and yeah. I flew out to meet him. Yeah, I haven't met him. Uh, yeah, I've, I haven't been to the South before. I've never been further south in Virginia. Um, the only West Coast visits I've made were L.A. and, of course, Vancouver, where I went to school. Yes. Um, Not as traveled. 
we took that big road trip a couple summers ago. So I've been to a bunch of national parks and I've been south a lot because I think I was, I'd rather be south where it's warm. I'm yeah. living in the wrong state. Hmm. All right. Are you on vacation now? Nope. I have two more days. And then what? And then what are I'm on for 12 days. What are you going to do? My gosh, I'm just going to lay on my couch and read a book that's not a textbook because I also just finished my class. Did you like, did you enjoy the Bukowski? So I haven't really, I have it right here. actually. I have only just started it. Because I had to write a final paper. I have my whole Bukowski collection behind me here. Oh. And I have Celine, who inspired Bukowski. Interesting. He, he, so I only just started it. Right now I'm reading. I have all my stuff here because I unpacked my bag. The Odyssey by Homer. Ooh, that's going to be also, challenging. I'm also reading the Cliff Notes because I don't understand a single word in here. Yeah, when I was reading even Moby Dick, which is an American piece of literature, it's old enough that I had to look up shit. Yep. <laughs> it just is what it is. <laughs> That's what I'm reading right now. Are you going to try Beowulf at some point? Oh, that sounds awful. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, okay. <laughs> I thought about rereading all my Steinbecks. I wasn't, I wasn't a fan. I did a couple and I couldn't do it. I can't I do it again. I think what it is with Steinbeck is I I read Grapes of Wrath in middle school. Yeah. Got the cliff notes because I understand a thing he was saying and understood it. And it was like the first book. Cause, so then I would go back and I'd reread it. And it was the first like real book I understood. And I think that formed this love for it. And then I've just been collecting Steinbecks ever since. If I see one in an antique shop, I have to buy it. Oh, so you're like me and Fitzgerald. Yes. This is like you and your Gatsby. Yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah I, uh, I read Of Mice and Men, and uh, I think I started Wrath, and I'm just like, no, not for me. That's not I'm for very everybody. picky, yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you read nonfiction? You know, I don't read a lot of nonfiction. The last one I read was called Sapiens. Mm, I remember that. Yeah, so that's how long ago it was. <laughs> so it was this brief history of humankind. It was fascinating. I just get bored by nonfiction, I think. Yeah. I, uh, I think you should read Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I think you've recommended that to me before. I yeah, to I, I think that you'll be blown away by it. Because you're really into sort of you're into the same stuff I am in terms of just like unpacking childhood shit. Yeah. And he's, he's going into where the origins of where individual people come from, make or break their success in life. And it's as simple as being told, uh, what to do when you're going to a doctor Do you shut up and behave or do you learn how to ask the doctor questions? Uh, and it's stuff like that. And I, I find it completely and totally fascinating. Hmm. I am writing it down because I am interested in that for sure. And I do think it's true. I think how our systems around us, our family system and our school system 
affect our overall development and our well-being. And that's Bronfen Brenner, and he's a American psychologist, Russian-born. Mm. Education. There's your education plug. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, I think we did good today. Um, yeah, you felt good about this? Yeah, we didn't have any uh, waffles to eat, though, so it's different to talk to you without brunch. Yeah. Um, we'll get around to that. I think the vaccine's coming now, so we could do it for, like, comfortably real next time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, um, Melissa lives in Maine. I live in New York City, so we meet halfway every quarter to have our quarterly brunch, which yeah. happens in... I don't know if it's Hadley or South Hadley, but one of the Hadleys in Massachusetts in the Berkshires. So. Yep. At Pulse Cafe. It's delicious. Pulse Cafe. It's yeah, it's a, it's a plug for Pulse Cafe. Link in the description. <laughs> Send us gift cards. <laughs> Sponsored by Pulse Sponsor Me. Um Sponsored by the goats next to the cafe. Oh, I love those goats. I know. <laughs> I draw I so listen, people at Pulse. I drive from New York City to the Berkshires so that my sister and I every quarter can meet those goats and say hello to those goats, and they expect to be fed by me, even though it's totally against the rules. I do it anyway because I love those goats. My favorite text while I'm driving is from you saying, "I'm already here. I'm with the goats." <laughs> 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 yeah, because I was coming early, so I could make sure I have time for the group. And I'm still like an hour away. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Well, I I overestimate how long it's going to take me because I know where the speed traps are, and so I always get there faster than I probably should. Whereas I'm alone in my car for the first time, and so I'm probably taking my time, and I don't mean to. <laughs> Usually, I'm surrounded by teenage boys. You should enjoy. I, I think the whole point is to just kind of enjoy the break. Yes. Enjoy the sure. drive. Play some um, music Yeah. All right. We we got a good hour in, and I think that. Uh, I think you have you, a lot you can work with. Yeah, I got a lot I can work with. We're we're painting the picture, uh, and I'm saying what I need to say in terms of what to expect from this podcast. Is if I'm having a great conversation with somebody, I'm going to try to carry it over to the podcast because I think it'll be useful to other people. And this one is you're not alone in just coming from toxicity but you yeah. can deal with it and uh you can navigate through it uh even i'm lucky enough to have realized that you were navigating it around it as well uh and uh yeah so it took us a while to arrive here didn't it, it took us years it did but that wasn't our fault that was the manipulation of a narcissistic parent who was constantly playing us against each other, right? Telling yeah. you I said something or telling me you said something and then us not talking about those said somethings for years until one day I said, I didn't say that. And then we realized how much was not true. Do you want to hear something interesting? Yeah. Uh, I was asked, well, what if she sees it? What, what happens then? And I go, she won't know it's me. And I want to tell you why. Because she doesn't know what I look like. So, do you remember a couple of years ago, she posted a face a, a, a thing a video on Facebook of a, a some random guy interrupting uh, the guy a from a, yeah. a book reading from a Bezos, I think it was Jeff Bezos, book reading, 
And he's like, you got to go back to Cabo. And she posted this on dad's Facebook saying, well, this is what your son is doing. And yeah. I'm like, that's not me. I, so first I off, I would never enter and interrupt somebody's book reading. Like I, I would just not go. I a million times being like, that's not him. And I'm like, wait, let me watch again. No, wait, that's not him. And so I finally reached out to you and was like, is this you? And you were like, no. <laughs> it doesn't even look anything like me. And But it got me thinking, she doesn't know what I look like. You you said that too. Like, she doesn't know what you look like. So I don't expect, I, I'm, one, I'm not nervous even if it was seen, but I don't expect it to be seen because I monitor the traffic of where my content is viewed from. And I rarely get main hits. So she's not even monitoring. She's not on the radar. She's not on the radar. This is between you, me, and probably some Facebook people who will then talk. I love Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So would you be open to doing this again down the road? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It doesn't have to be frequent, but I'd like this to be kind of a, a recurring thing every now and again. Yeah, I would say as things come up that you want to discuss, you know, get the other family member perspective or. Yeah. And uh, I'll start logging all of my interactions so we can unpack them in real time. Yes, that's a good idea because we do unpack a lot of stuff even just through random text. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Uh, I hope that wreath comes fast and it comes intact. It's handmade. I hope um, so. It's artificial, so you will have it forever. And it comes with the best of energy, so please don't get rid of it. <laughs> I, will, I will not get rid of it. Thank you for joining me, Melissa. I swear no editing was done. You're welcome. <laughs> we didn't say anything about anybody where something bad could transpire because we talked shit about somebody, but we didn't talk shit about I somebody. Did so. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> You're right. Enjoy your holidays. I'll probably, um, I'll text you. Okay. All right. I hope so. Bye.